Kia ora, it's great to have you with us. I'm filming this just a few hours before heading to the airport to jump on a plane to Nepal. Um, but the irony is by the time you uh, watch this message at, at Botany Life on the 22nd, we'll actually be coming towards the end of our time in Nepal and just be a day or two away uh, from jumping on the plane back to Singapore and then back to New Zealand again. But it's pretty cool to have this kind of technology and this ability in the, in the world we live in to, to do a sermon this way. So I hope you enjoy that. We are in the middle of this uh, five-week topical series on prayer. Our whole theme this year, of course, is love right where you are. And we started the year in the book of Jonah, uh, wrestling with the reality that we are much more like Jonah than we would really like to admit, that we run from God, we disobey God, but we also have this... Uh, apathy about us that Jonah had towards people who didn't know God but who needed to come to know his forgiveness and love and as we saw in that Jonah series we are a, a lot more like Jonah than we would like to admit so what we're doing in this five-week series on prayer that's still part of love right where you are is we're, we're really coming to God and asking God to change us asking God to come and transform our lives and help us become less like Jonah and more like Jesus. And so we've already had a couple of messages in here, uh, Open My Eyes, where we ask God to give us his glasses so that we would see lost people the way Jesus saw lost people. Not just taking for granted the image they project or how successful they are, but recognizing as Jesus did that they are lost without him and having compassion for them. And then last week, Stu uh, took us to opening our heart and praying that God would give us a heart for lost people the way that, that God has that kind of heart. And now we come to our third one today, Open My Schedule. And the idea behind this is that it doesn't help necessarily to have eyes that are open more and seeing more and more our lost friends and even people that we meet through life and really seeing them as lost and then having a heart for them like God does that really is full of compassion and wanting to see them trust in him. It does no good to, for God to open our eyes and open our heart unless he opens our schedule. Because the reality is, for the vast majority of us, life is hectic. Life is really busy. And it's possible to have open eyes and open hearts, but an unopen schedule. To have a, a heart towards people who are lost, to see them clearly that they need Jesus, and to feel compassion towards them, but to be so busy, to have lives that are so full, to have schedules that are so jam-packed, that we simply don't have time for people. And so the third part of this prayer that we're wanting to, to be led in and to pray together as a church family as we seek to raise the evangelistic temperature across our church is, Lord, open my schedule. Help me to find time in my busyness for people who, are, who don't know you yet and who are far from you. And so that's what we want to go after in this particular message. The reality is that life is very busy. I was reading one article this week that, was that used the description about being uber busy. That's just the way life works. I read an, uh, another article where someone was describing the way or the hashtags they use to describe their life. Hashtag so busy. Hashtag manic. Hashtag slammed. And yet... Some people are raising questions about whether we're really as busy as we like to think we are. 
The Herald ran an article on this a couple of years ago, and in that they made this claim. Contrary to how we might feel, most Kiwis are not working longer hours than ever. A Statistics New Zealand time use survey undertaken in 2010 found we're working less than we did in 1998-99. Full-time employees do 26 minutes less a day on average. We're also spending less time on the household chores because of technology and appliances and everything else. So what they're saying is the reality is in surveys at least, we all have half an hour less time at work than we did in 98-99. Now, I don't know if that resonates for you or not. I'm not sure it does for me. In fact, the irony for me is that getting ready to go to Nepal and do my normal ministry stuff, prepare for an extra sermon to film, which is this one, and also prepare things, lectures and sermons for Nepal as well. My last week has been more frantically busy than normal. I do feel like it's hashtag manic this last week. And yet, Maybe we're not quite so busy as we like to think we are. Or are we? One of the people I interviewed for this New Zealand article was a, a mum and a worker named Erin. She said, I just feel like my days never end. You don't really clock out. I'm cramming lots of things into my life around work hours, looking after my son, paying bills, sorting housework, washing, cooking dinner, groceries. They're everyday things, but they're very time consuming. And this is all the extra stuff on top of the work hours she talks about. I wonder if you resonate with Erin. Women, men, young, old, professional students. It does feel like for many of us, regardless of what scientific surveys may say, it does feel like we're hectic. So what does it mean for us to come to God and pray, God, open my schedule. Help me to have room for those who don't know you yet. How do we make room for lost people in our busy lives? To look at that today, I want us to open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. It's the second of the four Gospel accounts of Jesus. And I want to look at a story with you today in, in Mark chapter 5. So grab your Bible or grab your phone and pull up your app or whatever it works for you. And I'd love you, you to come with me and look at the story that Mark tells us uh, in Mark chapter 5 about almost a day in the life uh, in Jesus' ministry. Now, I'm not going to do a full exposition of this passage. What I want to do is I want to just make a few observations about Jesus' life and how he made room in his schedule for people. The story, which starts in chapter verse 21 of Mark 5 and goes to the end of the chapter, is actually the second two of four miracle stories. It begins in chapter 4 with Jesus calming the storm and then healing a person from multiple demons. And then in this story, he's going to heal a woman from a issue, health issue she's had for over 12 years. And then finally, he's going to raise a little girl from the dead. And these four stories actually sit together and together show the power and greatness of Jesus, that he is who Mark is claiming him to be, the Son of God. He has power over nature. He has power over the demonic world. He has power over disease. He even has power over death. And so these four stories are going together to construct a story, uh, a portrait of Jesus that Mark's wanting us to understand who he is. But we're not actually going after that particular idea. What I want to zero in on today is simply a few observations from the life of Jesus in this story. 
And I want to begin in verse 21 with this, this observation. Jesus was flat out busy. Jesus was flat out busy. Jesus had a very busy life. If you've got Mark 5 open in front of you, have a look at verse 21, how this particular scene begins. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. This is not the first time a large crowd has gathered. In fact, I was surprised. I went back through Mark's gospel to this point, the opening five chapters, and I just reread the way that Mark tells the story of Jesus. And what stood out to me was how busy Jesus was. I think sometimes, I think I've had the assumption, and maybe you have too, that Jesus just kind of strolled through life, that Jesus just seemed to kind of walk around and hang out with people and kind of do stuff, and he was very easy to get hold of, and people could just come and grab him whenever they wanted him, and he just kind of wandered through three years of ministry. Actually, when you read the Gospels carefully, that is not the picture of Jesus' life at all. This is the picture of Jesus' life. Have a look. Starting Mark chapter 1 verse 33. The whole town gathered at the door. Everyone wanted a piece of Jesus as soon as he began his public ministry. Verse 37. The disciples come to him. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. It got to the point, the next story, he could no longer enter a town openly because he got so popular. So many people wanted a piece of his time. People People were told were coming to him from everywhere. Chapter 2, they gathered in such large numbers there was no room left. This is the story of the friends who break into the roof and lower their paralyzed friend down so Jesus can heal him. The reason they do that is so Jesus is so popular, large numbers are following him. Chapter 2 verse 13, a large crowd came to him. Chapter 3, a large crowd from Galilee was following him. Uh, verse 20, he entered a house and, and the crowd gathered some more so that he and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. And you may look at that and go, well, you know what? That's my life. There are days I, don't, I, I just don't even get a chance to sit down and have lunch or have a quiet moment. And you know what? This just reminds us that Jesus was like that. That's the life that Jesus had as well as he began his public ministry. The crowd that gathered around him was so large, chapter 4, verse 1, he got into a boat. So as we come to this story and we read in chapter 5, verse 21, that he crossed to the other side of the lake and a large crowd gathered again. This is the norm. And this is Jesus' busy life. He did not have it easy. He did not just kind of wander around and had no timetable and do whatever he want. Jesus had a flat out busy life. I love the way that one pastor, Kevin DeYoung, uh, describes this in a book. He says, don't think Jesus is a Zen master who does yoga and ponders the sound of one hand clapping. If Jesus were on earth today, he'd get more emails than any of us. He'd have people calling his cell all the time. I love this. Jesus did not float above the fray, untouched by the pressures of normal human existence. Jesus was busy. He knew what it was like to be busy. And that actually tells us something incredibly crucial. Being busy is not a sin. I have to admit, when I started pulling this message together, and I was thinking about the busyness of my life at times and how 
my life just can get just get crowded with my to-do list of work things and ministry stuff and and family life and chores to be done and everything else and I just feel like I'm on the run and I was going maybe that's actually a sinful way to live but Jesus never sinned and yet Jesus lived a busy life and the truth of the matter is the Bible uh, condemns laziness. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the, the lazy person, the sluggard. So it's not that we're meant to be lazy. It's not that being busy is wrong. But there's something really important about Jesus that we need to take on board. Jesus was flat out busy. Really important observation here. But Jesus wasn't stressed by that. He wasn't overly busy. And he wasn't driven and I wonder if for many of us, the problem isn't so much that we're busy, but it's why we're busy. And maybe the question we need to wrestle with a little bit is not, am I overly busy? Although that is a good question to ask, but the deeper question is to ask, what drives my busyness? Am I busy because of pride? Like I need to somehow show the world that I'm important or make a difference. Is there a sense in which I need to be able to tell people when they ask me how I'm doing? Does it make me feel better about myself for some reason that I can say, oh, I am so busy? As though it makes me somehow, what, more important or somehow valuable? Is it a perfectionism that drives our busyness? where we have to do everything so perfectly no matter what it is that it just means we're frantic because there's so much we're trying to do. Or are we busy because we're people pleasers and we don't know how to say no to things or to people. And so we just continually fill our lives up till there's no room left. See, Jesus was flat out busy, but he wasn't stressed or driven. And so being busy is not wrong, and being busy by itself is not sinful, but it's possible for many of us, we do need to look at our busyness. We do need to look at our frantic pace. We do need to look at our calendars. Because maybe while our busyness isn't sinful, what's driving that busyness may very well be sinful. Kevin DeYoung, again, writes these words, Pride is subtle and shape-shifting. It, it changes on us. There's more of pride at work in our hearts than we know. And more of it pulsing through our busyness than we realise. Take a minute and consider that. Some of us, he says, never rest. Because we're still trying to prove something to our parents or our ex-girlfriend or our high school coach. But that's not what Jesus was like. Jesus was busy, and I think that's a helpful observation for us to see, that Jesus was busy. He knows what it's like, but Jesus wasn't driven by sin. Jesus wasn't driven by pride or people-pleasing or perfectionism. Jesus was simply busy because he was popular, but he was never overly busy. He was never stressed by that, and he wasn't driven by sin. I, see, I love this, this verse in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. We don't have, talking about Jesus, we don't have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, that's the beauty of the Christian message. God is not so distant from us that he doesn't get the pressures of our lives. Jesus has been here. He walked in this world. He's been in this planet. He's walked in our shoes. 
He knows, he has sympathy for at times how busy and frantic we feel because his life was like that too. But his life, he never sinned in his busyness. And the question for us to just think about a little bit, and we'll come to this at the end, is while being busy in and of itself is not sin, I wonder how much of our busyness is driven by sinful tendencies and wrong ideas. But this is the first observation. Jesus was flat out busy, even though that wasn't stressed or driven by sin. But he was flat out busy, but here's the next observation from this little story. Jesus still made time for people. Even though he was busy, Jesus still did a really good job of making time for people. And we see this beautifully illustrated in this story. So large crowds come around him, chapter 5 of Mark, verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come, put your hands on her, so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, it's not that Jesus didn't have anything to do. It's not that Jesus, you know, was, was just kind of wandering around and had, had nothing better to do that day. Jesus had a crowd around him. Normally in those situations he was teaching and healing, but he was willing to make room in his life, despite the fact he was busy, he was willing to make room, carve out time to be with this man who needed him. And I love the way that Jesus does that all the time through the Gospels. He, he would slow down. He would stop what he was doing. He would engage with people. He would sit and, and listen because people were important to him. I love the way this is brought out, especially in John's Gospel. Um, and and the, the contrast between the people that he spent time with in John 3 and John 4. Uh, in John 3, it's with Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, one of the lead, religious leaders of Israel. In chapter 4, it's with this woman that he sits down and begins a conversation with in Samaria, which was kind of a half-caste nation that the Jewish people just absolutely hated. And you see in this contrast between an Israelite and a Samaritan, a man and a woman, a, a religious leader of his people and a, and a nobody, a, a, a Pharisee who was therefore looked at as righteous and, and virtually perfect in the way he conducted himself, and this woman who was a sinner who admitted um, having had five different husbands, she was living with another guy, living in sin. And, and in fact, that's probably the reason she came out in the heat of the noonday sun to draw water when everyone else wasn't there. And yet Jesus made time for, for this kind of person and for this kind of person. And throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus taking the time to sit and listen and engage with people. Because while Jesus was flat out busy, he made time for people because people matter. Now, again, we need to just be careful. Jesus made time for people, but it's not because Jesus was a people pleaser. For many of us, we make time because we don't know how to say no. We, we, we make time for people, we connect with people, we do what people ask us because we've never learnt that we don't have to say yes to everyone. That it's okay at times to say no. Jesus had the ability to say no. I remember being at a, a pastor's conference years ago where the speaker brought up this story from Mark chapter 1. Uh, earlier in this gospel where Jesus um, is out praying early in the morning to connect with his father 
and Simon and the, some of the other disciples came and find him. And, and when they find him, they say, everyone is looking for you back in Capernaum. Let's go back, back to town. And Jesus replies, we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to go to, to some other villages so I can preach there also. And, and the, the speaker at this pastor's conference has brought out the idea, you know what, if you were in Capernaum that second day, you'd heard what Jesus had done the day before, and you turn up in Capernaum the next day to see Jesus, you would have been incredibly disappointed because Jesus went off somewhere else. See, Jesus was, it was okay for Jesus to disappoint people. He, he wasn't trying to please everyone. And so when we stop and look at a story like this and see that Jesus was flat out busy, but he also made time for people, it's not that he, he couldn't say no. It's not that he was a people pleaser. He made time for people because people were important, even though he was also at times comfortable saying no. So as we think about our busy lives and about asking God to open our schedule for lost people, that we have open uh, eyes and open hearts towards so our schedule would be open to them, we need to understand it's, it's okay that we're busy, so was Jesus. And it's okay at times to say no because it doesn't work. But Jesus did find time. He made time to spend with people because people are so valuable. Final observation then that I want to make is that even though Jesus was flat out busy and was willing to make time for people, he was also willing to be interrupted at a moment's notice by someone's need. And that's what we find in the final part of this particular story. He's on the road with Jairus, heading out to go heal Jairus' daughter. And it says, uh, midway through verse 24, a large crowd was following and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, grew worse. It's a, it's a really sad story. 12 years of suffering, no way to fix it, spent all her money. This woman was miserable. But when she heard about Jesus, verse 27, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding was stopped and she felt in her body like she was freed from her suffering. Now this is where it gets interesting. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he stopped and turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples answer him, you see the people crowding around you and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's a beautiful story. As this woman finally is, finds relief from 12 years of anguish and suffering as Jesus heals her. But here's the interesting thing. We read this story and we celebrate for this poor woman. We're so pleased that Jesus healed her when she just reached out in faith and touched him. But let me ask you a question. How would you have felt at this moment if you were Jairus? Because Jairus has come running to find Jesus, pleading that Jesus would come and heal his daughter who is dying. 
So every minute that goes by that Jesus isn't back at his house is another minute where his daughter could actually die. So he's found Jesus, hope is raised, Jesus is coming with him. I imagine Jairus is trying to speed the, 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 uh, the walk as fast as he can to get Jesus there. And then all of a sudden Jesus stops. And he's going, who's touching me? And his disciples are going, what do you mean who's touching you? There's this massive, everyone's touching you. And Jesus is saying, no, someone touched me. Power has gone out from me. And Jairus, I think, was going, look, Jesus, can we, who cares? Can we just get moving? And Jesus is like, no, I want to know who touched me. And he refuses to move until this woman comes out from the crowd and falls at his feet and confesses what she did. And I think Jesus did all of that. Jesus knew who touched her, uh, touched him, sorry. Jesus knew her story, knew her need, because he's God in human flesh. He knew what exactly what was going on. The reason he stopped and asked the question, who touched me, and looked around and didn't move on is because he wanted to not only heal her, but connect with her. He wanted her to come and tell her story and he wanted to be able to not only know that she felt healed, he wanted to be able to tell her in verse 34, she was healed. And in fact, the commentary that I was reading just today as I was looking at this passage one more time, the commentator said this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus looks at a, a woman and calls her daughter. It's a beautiful statement of endearment because Jesus was not only concerned about healing her body, he wanted to heal her soul. He wanted her to connect with him and trust in him by faith. He wanted there to be a relationship and he wanted to be able to minister deeply to her. And he was willing to be interrupted to make that happen. And of course, there was a cost to that. Because the very next verse, verse 35, says, while Jesus was still speaking to this woman, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now Jesus will say, that's fine. And he goes there and he, he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And a beautiful story. But here's the deal. He's flat out busy. And yet he's willing to make time for people, which he does time and time again. And he allows other things and other people just to simply interrupt what's going on. And here's the amazing thing, though. He was willing to be interrupted by need, and yet he accomplished his mission. On the night before he died, he is praying to the Father in what we call the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And he prays these words in verse 4. I've brought you glory, talking to his Father on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted, and yet he didn't get to the end of his life and say, sorry, Father, I accomplished most of the mission you gave me, but I kept getting interrupted by people because people were part of his mission. And if you and I are followers of Jesus, people are part of our mission as well. Our mission in life is not simply just to have a good career or not simply to have a nice house. It's not simply to have a happy family that loves Jesus. It's not to be wealthy. It is not to build a successful business. Our mission in life may include all of those things. God may bless with wealth. God may have called you into business. God does want your family to love Jesus. God has all, may have all of those things wrapped up in what he's calling you to do. But part of what he's calling you and me to do is to love people. 
and in the busyness of our lives to make room for people and allow at times interruptions to happen because people are significant to him. And if you and I get to heaven one day and, and, and we've built a great business or, or we've pastored a church or we've done whatever we do in our lives and we haven't allowed ourselves to make room for people, we haven't allowed ourselves to just stop and be interrupted and push the work aside or punish, push, push the, the painting aside at home or to, to stop uh, reading that book and just take time with people, then we really do need to pray this prayer. Lord, open my schedule. Because when we pray that, what we're asking God to do is make us more like Jesus. Jesus was flat out busy. And yet, he made time for people. He didn't allow his calendar and his diary to rule his life. They're tools, but that's not life. He didn't allow the to-do list of what he wanted to accomplish that day, how many people he wanted to uh, see, how many uh, leaders he wanted to challenge, how many people he wanted to heal. He didn't allow his to-do list to dominate what he was doing. He was flat out busy, no doubt. But he made room for people. And he was willing to be interrupted by need. And as you and I come in the busyness of our lives, but we come with eyes that are now more open to lost people and hearts that love them more deeply like God does, we now need to come to him and say, God, open my schedule. Open my schedule. Help me to make space in my world. Help me to be available so that I can see what you might want to do through my life. As we pray this prayer together, what that means is we're asking God to help us be willing uh, to push the work aside if a colleague wanders over and begins a conversation about what's going on in their lives. It means we're willing to, to create time uh, in, our, in our weekly calendar to spend time with the neighbour across the road or, or, or the friend who's asked us to join their, their indoor soccer team or whatever it is. It means we both deliberately make time for people in our schedules and we also give ourselves enough margin to simply to take the interruptions that God may bring into our lives and don't allow the frantic busyness of our lives to just take over. Been thinking about this a little bit more this week, and I was reminded of something that happened to me just a few weeks ago. And in many ways, it's so insignificant, it's hardly worth repeating, but I want to repeat it because for me, it epitomizes this idea about making space and being available. We've had great neighbors across the road from us for, for about five or six years who sold up at the end of last year and moved to Tauranga. And a, a, a young family have bought it, a, a couple with a, a one young child from France. And Rochelle had gone over and introduced herself and met them within a couple of weeks of them moving in. But I, I hadn't got there. I hadn't managed to get over there at that time. And I hadn't managed to get there actually for a number of weeks because I was flat out busy and it just didn't seem that important. And then a few weeks ago, I was out mowing the lawn, um, just trying to get that done on a Monday afternoon with a, a, a part of a to-do list of all these things I was trying to tick off. And as I was mowing the lawn, I happened to glance up and across the road diagonally at their house, um, the, the mother is just 
squatting down in the driveway with her little two-year-old son and they're watching me mow the lawn. He was obviously fascinated by the lawnmower. And my first thought was, I should go over and introduce myself. And my next thought was, no, I have to finish the lawns. And then my third thought was, what does it mean to love right where I am? And just this whole theme of this year and this desire for us to, to raise our evangelistic temperature just made me go, you know what? What's more important? Is it finishing the lawns quickly so that I can get on to the next thing? Or is it turning the lawnmower off and going and meeting the neighbour I haven't had the chance to meet yet? And I turned the lawnmower off and I went across and I met Siggy, who has moved in there. And then while she and I are talking, her husband pulls into the drive in his car and gets out and I meet Xavier. And I end up having this just really nice 10 minute conversation, getting to know them a little bit as neighbours. They've since wandered over to our house last week because they're from France, they've gone back to France for family reasons for just a couple of weeks. They asked us to collect their mail. But as Siggy was talking to Rochelle at the front door and asking us this, she just said, oh, when we're back, it would be lovely to have you over for drinks. And so we now have an opportunity to deepen this relationship. I don't know where that will go. I don't know whether they're open to spiritual things. I don't know where they're at with God. I don't know any of that. But all I know is that I was tempted because of my busyness to keep doing the task of mowing the lawn instead of allowing that to be interrupted with the opportunity to meet our new neighbours. And I'm so thankful that this idea of love right where you are is just really high on my radar enough to get me to turn the mower off. And it's maybe as simple as that. God, open our schedules. Help us to make space and be available and see what you might do. As we finish today, I just quickly want to give you just some reflective questions, just to, to think about and reflect on as you think about the busyness of your life and how frantic you may be, but also the, the people, the lost people that you're praying for and your eyes have been opened perhaps a bit more to see and that God is creating a heart for in your life. And I want you to think about them and think about your schedule and just reflect on these five questions quickly. Number one, am I just busy or am I crazy busy? As you look at your life right now, would you say there's a busyness to it because of the life we live in, and, but it's an okay busyness, or, or are you crazy busy? Is there something about how frantic your life is right now that's actually not good and is actually moving towards being sinful? Second question to ask then is, well, what's driving that busyness? If your life at the moment is crazy busy, if it's not a, a normal, just busy, but you just feel frantic and out of control, or your to-do list is far too big, or your calendar's much too jammed, then what's driving that? Is it, is it pride? Is it perfectionism? Is it people-pleasing? Is it somehow a need to show people looking on that you're really important or have heaps on? What's going on? Maybe just take some time to think about what's behind that crazy busyness. Third question, am I able to make time for people in my life? If God is opening my eyes to lost people, if God's opening my heart to lost people, 
then am I able to actually schedule time for them? Do I need to look at my calendar and make sure that I have time and space individually, perhaps as a couple if you're married, maybe as a family if you're trying to reach another family? Do we need to make time for people in our lives? Thirdly, do I have enough margin to allow myself to be interrupted? Am I willing to just make sure that in the busyness of my work life and home life and sports team and everything else, that I'm just relaxed enough with the to-do list and relaxed enough with everything going on that if someone pops in, if a friend calls me on the phone, if that work colleague wanders over to my desk, that I can just push things aside and give them the attention, engage with them, listen to them the way that Jesus so often did in the Gospels. And then finally, and this is the main question, am I available to be used by God? Am I willing to come to God in the busyness of life and pray, God, open my schedule. Help me to make time in here for people. Help me to have some margin and have some space and be freed from the idolatry of a to-do list and a calendar that dominates my life so that I can just be interrupted to sense a divine moment from you and step into it. Am I available? Am I willing to pray, Lord, open my schedule? If you are, I'd like to lead you in this prayer because this is the way Jesus lived. Flat out busy, but he made space and was available to see how God wanted to use him. I want to close this morning by praying this prayer. This is the third paragraph of the prayer we've written, and I just I want to close by just praying this. And if this is your prayer, I invite you just to, to pray it in your heart as I pray it for all of us now. Father, open my schedule. My life feels crazy busy, but that pace isn't healthy or sustainable. And my busyness leaves no room for people. Lord Jesus, thank you that while you were busy with life, you were able to make time for others. You were open to interruptions. Help me to create margin in my life so I can be available to people. In your name, amen.